0: you're listening to the Whole Vineyard podcast. To find out more about the Hall Vineyard Church go to hallvineyard.co.uk.
1: Good morning, good morning. So I'm going to be uh, reading this morning the parable of the lost son um, and that is Luke Chapter 15, starting at verse 11, uh, so you can read along with me or the words will come up on the screen. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate meanwhile the elder son was in the field when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on your brother has come he replied and your father has killed and the fattened calf You kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found.
0: Oh, good morning to you all again. Thank you, Holly. This story, the prodigal son, is a beautiful story, isn't it? It is uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And as you read it, it's kind of like a, a multifaceted jewel. There's so many aspects. We could talk about that passage, that text, for many, many months. But there's just one aspect that I'd love to draw out of that story today, and that is the Father heart of God, the Father heart of God. And it's fitting that we talk about that, as we have dedicated Ivy this morning. Josh and Hannah, for those of you who know Josh and Hannah, are wonderful, wonderful parents. And they know that the strength of their parenting lies in many things. The fact that, first and foremost, they're just a great couple, um, which certainly helps. And um, also the, the great examples of parenting around them, in their family, and in the community, the parenting that they received growing up, uh, the posture that they lean in uh, with in terms of humility and a willingness to learn and to listen to the Lord and to other people around them in how to raise children, their willingness to make mistakes. But above all, they know, they recognize that the foundation And their foundation for raising children in God comes from knowing what God is like and how much He loves His children. As I mentioned as we were doing the dedication, is my dad who's told me over the years that children belong to the Lord. Children belong to the Lord. And as parents, you know, we have them. On loan, if you like. We're to love them and to raise them and to care for them. But ultimately, they belong to him. They belong to him. And God's heart, God's passion, God's ache, God's desire, God's longing, his unconditional and overwhelming love for Ivy and for children far surpasses even the love that Josh and Hannah has for Ivy and that we have for our children. God's love for children far surpasses our love for them. And that same love is for every single person that is in this room this morning. So, when I read this passage, I, I, I think it answers a question that many, many people ask, which is this, what is God like Many of your friends, neighbors, people at work are asking that question What is God like? Maybe you're here this morning, you're asking that question What is God actually like? And we can see in this passage what he is like. This is a parable. Jesus spoke many times in parables. Parables are stories where Jesus gave an earthly picture to a heavenly kingdom. Reality, So that people could, for those who were leaning in, for those who wanted to hear, that they could listen and understand. A simple synopsis of the story is that there's a dad here with two kids, two sons. And this is a family which has been traumatically torn apart by the action of the younger son. He comes to his dad and he requests a share of his inheritance. And so in effect, what that means is he's wishing in that moment that his dad no longer existed, that his dad was dead. I'm tired of waiting around for you to die. So just give me my inheritance now. That is what the father heard and in the context of those days. That is what the father heard in that moment. But to add insult to injury, he goes and takes the inheritance and doesn't invest it in a mortgage <laughs> or some savings or some healthy things, but he wastes it. It just goes. And he spends it all on and the term used in the text, wild living. Wastes it all the way on wild living. But of course, as always, the penny drops. And he realizes, when he has nothing left, what an utter fool he has been. And he decides to return home. So as he's returning home, of course, like you and I would be doing, rehearsing a speech, how am I going to approach this? It's been a disaster. Rehearsing a speech, how can I get back? And you see in the story, he he just wants to get back at entry level. I'm not trying to restore what I had before I just need to get back at entry level and so in the context again of those times he was hoping at best for a few things verse 19 he'd come to the painful realization that he had no claim now on his birthright and at the best he could only expect his dad to take him back on the condition that he becomes now a servant in the household that was the best thing he was hoping for. I come back home, and I'm now a servant in the household. Also, while he'd been away, this young man most definitely would have been the subject of village gossip. He would have been the talk of the town. Everybody would have been talking about this situation, and he knew very well, again in the context of those times, that he had something coming his way, and it was a humiliating ceremony that he would have to encounter. And this was the confrontation of the son as he entered the village with a pot being broken at his feet with the accompanying words, You are cut off. So he wasted the inheritance. He's coming back, reciting, rehearsing, speech in his head. I want to come back at best as a servant, and I know I'm going to have to face the village. He would say, you are cut off. And he would have been expected to sit outside the gate of the family home before ever being even allowed to see his father. So there's a lot of processing to go through. Finally, his father would have been summoned, and he would have come out. And with this young boy already being scorned by the village, the father himself would heap insults upon his son, who by now is no son. He's just a liability. This is what was expected, and this is what the listeners and the hearers of this story, when Jesus is talking about this, thought he deserved. They were like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. Think of all that as the scene. And what we have here now is a picture of what God is like represented by the Father and a series of responses that he makes. The Father did what no Middle Eastern father ever did. He did the unthinkable. It threw everybody, turned everybody's expectations upside down, shatters all people's conceptions and stereotypes of who God is. Verse 20. So the young son got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. That would have blown the hearers away. Let's break that down to a series of events. First of all, he runs to him. The word there means an athletic sprint. It's something that a patriarch in those times, the head of the household, would never ever have done an athletic sprint. It 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 would almost be an honorable thing to do. He literally sprinted towards his son. In those days, it would have been much more of a measured walk, and in order to run, he had to lift his garments from the front up in order not to trip over and therefore would be exposing his legs. Again, something that you would never, ever, ever have seen someone of that stature and honor to do. And then you can imagine the son begins to recite the rehearsed speech and then he's interrupted with compassion. Compassion and that really comes from the word in, intestines. When, when a close family member or friend or someone we know is hurt, it feels as if your guts get twisted, doesn't it? There's that sickening contraction below. A, a similar form of expression still exists amongst Middle Eastern villagers today. If someone hears like a moving story, they will say, Stop it. You're cutting up my intestines. Well, this father's intestines were being torn apart by the sight of his shame-faced, poverty-stricken son who had at last come home. This was the day that this father had been longing for, waiting for, aching for, for so, so long. So he's filled with this extraordinary compassion, and then he kisses him. And it's, it's not just he kisses him once, he kisses him over and over and over again. Definitely, in, again, in those days, the son would have taken the posture of bowing down before his dad, taking the knee, and instead, eye to eye, he embraces him and kisses him again and again. But there's more. This isn't just grace. This is Restoration. Verse 22 to 24, But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The best robe, of course, is the father's robe. His finest, the the sort that is only worn for very, very special occasions in someone's lifetime. The ring is more likely the signet ring in the house, the one which would contain the family emblem and use for sealing legal documents. The shoes are placed on his feet. These are shoes only worn by by freemen, not by servants. Only sons wore the shoes. And then the climax of the homecoming, the killing of the fattened calf. We're talking about prime beef. Who here loves steak? I love steak, I know Josh loves steak. This is, apologies to any vegetarians here, this is (laughs) prime beef. A fattened calf would only be killed only a few times during a family's lifetime, so it was a very, very special occasion indeed. So, this is the Father's heart, this is God. What do we learn? Well, first of all, a word for you, Josh and Hannah, and then a word for us. Perhaps the most radical statement Jesus, I believe, ever made is this, be compassionate as your Father is compassionate. And so our lives are meant to be, as Christians, to be like living parables reflecting the heart of God and the kingdom reality. That is truth. And you are to be like the Father in this story. There will be days when Like us, our children go and do their own thing, sometimes even against the longings of our heart, and it can be painful. But it's crucial that all our children see the Father heart of God in us, displayed in and through us, that level of grace and love and compassion, that they know that they know that they know of our unconditional love. That even in seasons and moments of discipline, they know love. And it is intertwined. It is not separated out that they know that they're loved, no matter what happens. They see the grace and mercy of God and who He is through us and our words and our actions. And for us. I'd love to invite you afresh to believe in this good God once again. The philosopher Charles Taylor in his book, A Secular Age, said that we once lived in an age where belief was so common, it was courageous to doubt. But now we live in a culture and we live in an age that it is common to doubt. And it is the courageous thing of an individual to actually believe. It's dangerous to believe, to thrust your entire weight and hope of belief on the one person which is Jesus and the one cause which is worthy of all our attention and our lives, the kingdom of God. What you find in this story and in God's invitation to you is that God is simply enough. The young son simply left because he wanted more. What he had was not sufficient. He wanted more. He, he wanted fulfillment in having control of his inheritance. He wanted fulfillment in doing his own thing, in accomplishment and his rights. He wanted, interestingly, his father, which is God, God's resources to accomplish his desires. And it's been like that since the beginning of time. People are wanting God's resources in order to accomplish their own purpose and will. But the call here in this story, in this text, is to return simply to the father, to return home, to return to God, who is enough. He is enough for us, not God and or God if. Just God is enough. Relationship, intimacy with him. And enough resists the anxieties that we all experience today. The restlessness of our days, the disappointments of our days, the drivenness of our days. We were created to ultimately return home and relate with this God. And if God isn't enough, then we tend to power our lives and our plans by pillaging God and his resources for our lives and plans. And let me tell you, that leads purely to toil and restlessness and heartache and anxiety and distraction. And Jesus constantly in these stories would paint a picture of people's lostness. Jesus here is speaking to people who are lost we have the two sons, and Josh is going to be sharing tonight about the other brother. But you have here tax collectors and the sinners who he addressing, who are hearing this story. And they're lost, but guess what? They realize that they are lost. And you see that in the younger brother. I messed up. I'm lost. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I return home. I realize it. And we only ever realize that we truly need a Savior that is in Jesus when we recognize how lost and fallen we are. Alternatively, he's speaking to those listening, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and they are just as lost, but they have no idea. We see that in the older brother. They're lost, but they don't think they're lost, and that is such a dangerous place to be in. And in their lostness and our lostness, here we see what God is like. The father initiating because he first loved us. The father seeking us. He's coming after us. He's tenaciously loving and pursuing us. And As I finish this, this is actually the main point of the story. Is that the prodigal son is actually the storyteller himself. That is Jesus. Jesus. You may have seen in the text that the father, in that moment, gave away his entire inheritance to both his sons, there and then. Both sons didn't deserve it, but both sons got their full whack of the inheritance. And the point that Jesus wants to make to the hearers, to those that are lost, is that it does not matter how spectacularly lost we are, how we have wasted our resources and we've thrown our inheritance away, we've gone our own way, we've done our own thing, that Jesus in the Father has absorbed the cost and still invites you to enjoy your inheritance and a welcome back to his family. Jesus, we see this in the Father, absorbed the cost. He gave away the inheritance. Still welcomes us back to the family. And this is the beautiful, awesome story of faith and belief in Christ. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, absorbed the cost of our lostness, of our fallenness, of our sin and brokenness on the cross. He took the hit so we could be welcomed back into intimate relationship with him. And so salvation isn't about trying to work your way back to the estate and regain favor. It's not trying to, hey, can I do a number of things to start at servant level and work my way back. Potentially up and do penance if you like. It's accepting our lostness and allowing the recklessness and the astonishing love of the Father to run towards us, to scoop us up, to embrace us, hug us, kiss us, and restore that inheritance of sonship. And we can say that is enough. The world can offer me everything. But they can have it. They can have the world. They can have everything. I just need Christ. And so as we gaze upon that, it helps us to look upon our children and others with fresh eyes and perspective and be compassionate as our Father is compassionate.